Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 85 with our guest, Luke Watkins. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Luke Watkins used to live his life by three principles, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hey, me too. No. <laughs> for um, maybe one or two of those things. Uh, for, for decades, he rode the ups and downs of drug and alcohol abuse, opened for some of the biggest rock stars in the nation, and lived the so-called life, and didn't see any reason to change even when his lifestyle started to threaten his health and impact the lives of those around him. But after surviving a potentially deadly accident, Luke made the decision to change his life for the better. As he relives his journey, he offers an exceptional glimpse into the mindsets, techniques, and perseverance it takes to make impactful, lasting change to your way of life. His story is one of hope, inspiration, and practical solutions to help facilitate change in one's own life, the lives of others, and ultimately, the world. Most importantly, Luke reminds us all that it's never too late to make a change and maybe even learn something in the process. Gosh darn it, it's Luke Watkins. What's going on, Luke? Hey, man. What's going on? How are you? Oh, I am very good. So let's get, let's get right into the crux here, as they say. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll open for some of the biggest names. I'd like a couple of names if you could sure. drop them right off the bat. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. So, so we were in the uh, punk scene. So back in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, there was this thing called punk. And um, some of the big bands in that area were like Green Day, Offspring. I don't know if you remember that whole thing. Um, but the big Biggest name that we probably opened for it was some not as famous people but they were famous in the punk scene so that's why I kind of preface it uh, but there was a band that was like kind of punk ska called Real Big Fish they had a hit song on the radio called Sell Out we opened up for them uh, there was a couple other big bands um, one of them was called Unwritten Law um, there was another band called Voodoo Glow Skulls and again they're not like you know huge bands but within the scene they were big bands people would know I who get they it. Were. 
I get it. So um, was that world, was living that world really all it's cracked up to be from the outside looking in? I've seen E! True Hollywood Story. You remember that show? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it, uh, what was it like from the inside looking out? You know, it's not as glamorous as people say it is. I mean, I can't sit here and say that I didn't have fun because I did. Um, but some of the mistakes that I made because of being intoxicated and not thinking clearly and straight uh, are unforgettable and, and maybe, you know, um, unforgivable. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and a lot of times you're just kind of lonely. Mm, um, lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, n- I would say no, ultimately, is the short version of the story. But no, Were man, you- it's tough. It's really tough, actually. Were you the front man? Yeah, yeah, I was the, I was the screamer of the band. Yeah, the singer. I, I say that I used to sing in tune. I would, or scream in tune, excuse me. I would try to scream in tune. Yeah. Any instruments or what? Yeah, I played guitar too, yep. Mm. Um, do, uh, how long were you up on stages for? Five years, 10 years, 20 years? How long were you in this life? Oh, really? For, uh, well, so I started my first band when I was uh, 15, you know, but then on and off. But really, when I was in the band and doing some touring and traveling and stuff, probably like five years. And did you have a family at that point or going into it or coming out of it? Yeah, coming out of it, I did. Not during. Yeah, no, there's no, <laughs> there's no way. And that's what really got me out of it was my family, for sure. I, I settled down, got married. And then when we were pregnant with our first daughter, I was still kind of with some other bands that weren't as famous and doing some things, but realized quickly as I went on like a small tour that like, I can't be gone from my family. This is just not going to work anymore. So, so you, you made money supported and made ends meet through this? No, hell no. No. (laughs) It was a passion, man. I I always worked odd and end jobs because I just loved playing music. So it was like, we we made enough money to to make it from one town to the next and, and eat and that was about it but we loved it so we didn't care that's all we wanted to do wow how did you um i i want to focus on the one word you said which was lonely boy who can't relate to that i've i i've spent yeah. a lifetime feeling lonely even when you're around people or have yep. have a significant other, I've always felt that there's such a such an air of loneliness that still exists. So you're on the road, and it, it just sort of lends itself to that. You say because again, I also spent 15 years in the entertainment world as an actor mm-hmm. filmmaker, um, yep. but I went into that world uh, because I was seeking that external approval, uh, sure. needing the external validation. Is that um, could you relate to that? Is that how it sort of felt when you're on the stage? You're like, hey, love me, love me? Totally, dude. You just nailed it on the head right before you even said that. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like, oh, you know, subconsciously, I think a lot of what I did was to get the attention, right? You know what I mean? Because I didn't feel worthy or loved or self-love for so long. I mean, I was self-medicating forever because I was depressed, really, you know? And so when you get on stage and everyone's looking at you and worships you, it's like, oh, good. I get that, that validation, <laughs> right? Or whatever. At least, well, temporary, anyways. Yeah, yeah, man. What was your drug of choice all throughout this? So I mostly just drank beer. I was a big time beer drinker. Um, but what happened is usually, you know, I'd drink some beers and then get into the hard liquor and then, and then really anything would go and whatever kind of drugs anybody had, whether it was pot or Coke or whatever mm-hmm. at that point. So like, it all just was a downhill spiral after I had a couple of beers, basically. And let's give a spoiler alert. Today, you're totally clean. 
Oh yeah, it's been about five years. Yeah, I don't have the exact date or anything like that. Um, but yeah, uh, roughly around five years. Yeah, I can't do any of that stuff anymore because I've got a, an addictive behavior or personality and, and I just know if it, that, that's what I did for years. I, 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 I drink myself to sleep every night. So I know if I have one, I have 20 and then bad things happen. I want to I wanna connect these dots right away and, and see how we got to all this. Bring us back, if you will, to the very beginning. What was life like growing up for Luke Watkins? <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, man, as a kid, I had a lot of uh, behavioral problems. Um, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and Tourette syndrome. So I was kind of like a hyperactive kid. I was kind of the class clown, had a lot of energy. You know, I was that kid that the parents didn't know what to do with. And, and now I have five of those of my own. Uh, five kids. Wow. <laughs> um, so I went through that and I kind of struggled because uh, my parents were trying to uh, put me on medications and see what worked and what would mellow me out a little bit. And it just kind of drove me crazy because they would try different things. Them and the doctors would, would talk about what's working, what's not. And I think that kind of led me to this point uh, in my early teenage years, around the ages of 10, 11, 12, that I wanted to kind of be rebellious. And I was just like, screw you, man. Um, and I, at that same exact time, MTV came out. And that's when all the big, big hair rock bands like Guns N' Roses and Bon Jovi, Poison, Def Leppard, you know, um, were kind of famous and, and coming out. And I was drawn to that. I was like, I want to do that. And so that's what I did. Uh, I remember being in sixth grade and uh, starting a band with my buddy, Sean, and we'd go over to his house. His dad was kind of a rocker. And so he had like drums and guitars and amps. And so we'd go over there and dick around. And uh, one thing led to another. Started this band and that band and that band and uh, been in bands ever since. So you grew up uh, Mormon, you told me, right? Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised LDS. And uh, so, you know, me wanting to, to live the rock and roll lifestyle was, was kind of contradictory to what my parents wanted to do. So, so we butted heads for, for quite some time, actually, probably, probably a good five years, if not longer. So you grew up Mormon uh, in California, you said, right? That was where yeah. you were. Uh, and yeah. um, up until your early teenage years, like when you were 10 or 12, before that, you were diagnosed, you were an energetic kid. You were diagnosed with ADHD and Tourette's. Um, and then put on all this medication that you said was sort of messing with you and just all these experiments. And that's sort of, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I kind of held a grudge or, or, or resent against my parents because I didn't want to do that. But, you know, I was a kid. And so they just did what they thought was best for me. Right. Um, you know, whether I expressed it or not, I don't think, you know, they cared. I mean, looking back now, obviously being a parent and uh, older I can I'm sure they just loved me and wanted the best for me and wanted to to live a peaceful life but for me as the kid and, and, and my mindset was like man screw you like I don't want to do this like I don't want to switch I don't want to be high one day and low the next like I want to just be a normal kid but um what mm. can you do I don't know man yeah wow. so I, I kind of built this resents and and I think it, it built up to this me wanting to rebel and be like screw you or f you right man so are you yeah. are, are you still diagnosed yeah. with with either of those things today you know what's funny is I don't I don't know I have no idea but uh, I've ran into some some people recently in the, that have ADD and I talk about it in my book um, and they're like dude you're so ADD ADD and I'm like you know what I freaking am ADD I I think I still am totally because I have like shiny object syndrome and my attention span is just so short right um, but yeah I think so I'm mm. a little ADD for sure. 
So as a teenager, you had your eyes firmly on the prize of, I'm going to be a rock star. MTV came along. Um, you, you just naturally took to singing and, and, and you filled that role. You were able to do it. Uh, got, got some resistance from your parents, certainly. What were those conversations like? How did you deal with that? Is that when the alcohol started arriving? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, I started hanging around, you know, probably some people that weren't as good of influences. Um, you know, people, well, the whole scene of being in bands isn't, you know, usually probably one of the better ones. It's probably hard to be in a band and, and not drink or smoke, right? But early on, I just started smoking cigarettes and drinking and hanging around people that were doing that. Um, but it all kind of came to a, a head when I was 15 years old, actually. I had uh, scored some weed, and this is part of my story, um, and I was waiting in the park for my friends to come hang out, and I got busted uh, from some undercover cops at 15 and got arrested, and uh, that really uh, didn't make my parents happy, to say the least. So from that, what happened is, is that's how I ended up in Utah, is I got arrested, and within like two days, my parents had made the decision to just ship me off to go live with my dad's cousin family in Utah, Sandy, Utah. So I'm a 15 year old kid, already kind of messed up in the head, get arrested. My parents shipped me off to live with some family I'd never met. Um, so I'm messed up even more at that point, right? And I cleaned, I cleaned up for a little bit and uh, there was some better influence uh, kids around where I was at, but I still loved rock and roll and, and drugs and sex. So <laughs> I ended up finding it again. I ended up finding it pretty, pretty quickly. So what happened in Utah? You, uh, you finished high school there? Yep. Yep. So I was 15. Uh, so I finished 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, but again, uh, still was a trouble, troublemaker. I mean, I went from one school to the next, to the next, cause I wasn't going to school, found some friends that we just didn't go and wow. were smoking weed instead. Uh, but that's when I formed kind of the band that, uh, took off for a little while and, and then went on the road. So just continued drinking. Just started drinking again. And now you're, you're out of high school, no college. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, no, I went to community college for like a quarter and didn't even really do anything. Yeah, I didn't do any college, no. And you just said, you know what? I'm going to be a rock and roll legend my whole life. That was all I wanted to do, uh, man, from like the age of 10 all the way up until probably like I didn't start giving up on that dream till like 30, probably. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so let's talk about in your 20s. So you formed this band. You were the front man. Uh, you're making you're making day to day ends meet, and you're just 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 living the dream. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You're just ingrained in that scene. Totally. That was it. I mean, all we did was we <laughs> we just lived to go jam and practice, man. And then we'd put little tours together and and play shows, and that was it, man. I mean, hopefully there was a show every weekend. Or we would go to shows, other bands' shows, um, but we were practicing three to five nights a week, and it's just being there in, in the in the room with the band and drinking, and that that's that was the life, man. That, nothing else mattered. Tell us, tell us a story, a crazy story. What stands out when you're like, I can't believe this was me. I just can't believe it. Oh man. Well, you'll have to read the book. I mean, seriously, I have like a ton of stories in the book. Um, there's, it's, there's. There's, there's too many. I mean, just going on tour and some of the wildest things. I mean, so one thing that, that comes to mind is like uh, being freak, probably like 18 years old, maybe 19 or 20, and like going on this tour where you go to these towns and you set up a show and you're self-promoting. So really nobody knows who you are until you go out and do that. And that's kind of what you have to do to get known, or it used to be anyways. Um, so you go to these towns 
and nobody knows who you are and the show sucks because nobody shows up and, and you don't have a place to sleep. So you're crashing on somebody's uh, floor that you just wow. met. Uh, but the one thing that always kind of stands out to me is we were in Berkeley, California and I ran out of money, like personal money, right? We all bring like our little stash that we had, but I ran out because I was drinking and spent it all on alcohol and I had to panhandle for a freaking slice of pizza, man. You know what I mean? So like, Things like that would happen all the time, like just begging for money to, to get enough to eat because I spent all my money on alcohol. And you're the opening band that night. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows because I guess you're going yeah. to hide that fact. You're not like, oh, by yeah. the way, and also come see me tonight. I'll be up oh, on yeah. stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Crazy wow. world, man. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So this, this brand of mine, the hidden entrepreneur, mm-hmm. obviously part of my story, I was hiding all of my power all these years. In, in your 20s, what do you think you were hiding from? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't really know other than I think I was just trying to run away from reality. Like, I didn't want to face anything. So I just kind of self-medicated um, and ran. And just, I didn't want to face the real world or, you know what I mean? Like, getting a job or, or being a <laughs> contributing member of society. I was just running away and, like, hiding, man. I don't know what it was from. I think really I just was trying to figure myself out. Um, was, there, was there the resistance going back to your, your sort of like your parents who, who you saw were, were, were doing these things to you? Was that sort of still it? You're like, I'm not going to conform to what they want, so this is my way of not conforming? Totally. Totally, man. That was my lifestyle. Like in punk rock, they say it's a state of mind. And it's like, it's always, uh, it's like, it's that. It's... Um, not conforming it's like doing the opposite right uh it's it's a way of life and that people live when they're in the punk scene and it's just kind of like f the world and i'm doing what i want to do and that's how i was right and yeah totally with my parents we butted heads until gosh i was in my 30s probably you know wow did you get the support from them when you were on your 20s because i know um as an actor living in new york uh much of my uh 20s and, and part of my 30s it is not glamorous. Uh, it's, it's lonely, it's depressing, it's sad, it's all of those things, coupled with some ups and you know, other downs and higher ups and lower lows, all of that. And what I know you tried doing, or I, I did a lot of the time, especially with friends and family, you try to put on the air of success, even though you know the truth, you start glorifying. Was that the case for you? Did you have to like convince people that no, everything is perfect when it might not have been in your personal world? Yeah, I think you make up how good you want it to be, right? Like you just kind of like, yeah, everything's amazing. You start believing your own lie, right? Ooh, yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's for sure how it was. And you asked about the support of my parents. No, there, was, there, there wasn't really any support. I mean, they loved me because they'll always love me and, and they're great parents that way. Uh, but I remember like specifically like when I started getting tattoos, they're just like, dude, what are you doing, man? You're going to regret that. Don't do this stuff. I'm just like, screw you, man. I'll do whatever I want, right? And I, yeah, you know, they wouldn't, they didn't want me drinking at their house, but of course I'm like sneaking in and out of the basement because I still lived at their house for a long time and drinking and bringing in booze and women and just doing stupid stuff. Oh, while you were on the road, you lived in their house? You, 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 yeah, I, I mean, I came, I was like in and out of their house. Yeah, because I just couldn't keep a job or didn't have a place to live. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah so. Was there, was there a, um, was there a fear that was uh, colored throughout or were you just lying to yourself and you believed your own lie that, hey, this is magnificent? Or when you were alone, you were scared, depressed, 
crying, all that stuff? Or did you just push that all down? No. Yeah, no. I, there were some, some pretty low times, man. Like when, when you're alone, like when the party's gone, right. And everyone's left and you're sitting there, uh, not in the right state of mind, probably. I mean, I remember doing some stupid stuff like, uh, just sitting there with like cigarettes and letting them fall on my hands and making burn marks and just doing stupid stuff. Cause you're just sad and depressed. And I, I remember one time I had this girlfriend where I would like break down and cry and be like, dude, you know what? I realize I'm a freaking alcoholic and I don't have a life. Like this isn't as glamorous as I thought it was, you know, some low lows where you just kind of like come out of uh, hiding and just kind of let your feelings loose, which I know now is so important to, to do those kind of things. But, but yeah, no, man, uh, I, of course I was just hiding. I was hiding myself. I lived my lie and rarely would anybody ever see the true me. Right. Mm. Like, that was one of the rare times when, when I'd like have a girlfriend or something, I felt comfortable enough. My parents didn't know my parents. My parents didn't know anything about my life until they read my book. It was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, like, that's amazing. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> How is your relationship with them today? It's awesome. It's awesome, man. Yeah, I love them. They love me, and yeah, we're isn't, we're real close. Yeah, isn't that magnificent? I want to yeah. bring the um, I want to bring the motorcycle into the dialogue because I know that that's the um, that was the catalyst for something that we'll talk about. Um, did you have the motorcycle at this point in your 20s? When, when did that come about? No, I've never been in motorcycles until later in life. Um, so I started working with a real estate investment company. Um, gosh, let's see, how old am I? Oh man, I'm too old. <laughs> uh, early 30s. <laughs> let's just say that early 30s. And uh, one time we bought a house we buy houses to fix them up and flip. And we bought this house that came with a motorcycle in the shed. And it was this Yamaha Virago with like this bitching uh, paint job. You know how sometimes they have those cool airbrush paint jobs and stuff. So um, that was my, that was my commission or whatever. They're like, Hey, just have the motorcycle. That's <laughs> cool. So it was this big 1999 or 98 Yamaha Virago with an 1100 CC big engine, big motor. And um, I loved it. And I rode it around everywhere. Uh, so one night, I uh, was going to the jazz game, the jazz basketball, and uh, rode my motorcycle because I knew I was going to be drinking. I'm like, all right, <laughs> let me, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so, like, I'm not going to drive a car. Well, exactly, exactly. So I drove my, my motorcycle to the train station. That was, that was my rationale. I'm like, okay, at least I'm just driving from the train station to home and that's it. Oh, no. So, so get, on the, get on the train, go down there, um, go downtown. I lived like 30 minutes away, so I took the train, met up a buddy, met up with a buddy, to have dinner beforehand uh, you know of course while I'm waiting I'm having a couple of drinks I had like I was probably already wasted literally like uh, before he got there and then we had dinner and had more drinks and then we're walking from the restaurant to the jazz game and it's like you know a block away or whatever and he's like dude I've got a little weed let's do that I'm like all right whatever I'm, I'm this is this is my night and I'm out I'm, I'm letting loose so I'm not that. driving. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Right. Uh, so we did that and it just um, you have Did a wife you, and children at this point in the story? Yeah, man. Three kids married probably 10 years. Yeah. Uh, three kids, probably fourth on the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Before you tell us the punchline yeah. of yeah. getting yeah. back onto the motorcycle, because I see where, we, where we're going. You drove <laughs> to the train station, party, yeah. and now you're yeah. about to do your thing and then come yeah. home from yeah. the train station. Yeah. But before that, so um, you had yeah. then, I, I want to hear how your uh, family came to be. How did your wife, did, uh, did she meet you in your performing lifestyle? And, and that's, yeah. Yep. yeah. And she supported so that? I was, 
Yeah, I was working at a, a Italian restaurant as a cook and she started working there as a server or a waitress and we met that way through work and I was still in bands and stuff. So she, she thought it was weird, man. She'd come to see our shows and she's like, what is this weird subculture? <laughs> she, she totally thought I was weird for a long but time. But still wanted to love you, huh? Well, yeah, we started dating and I mean, we had, we had drinking in common. So, you know, we oh, did Oh, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. He had just gotten back from college, and so we did a lot of a lot of partying together. Uh, ended up getting married probably after three years of dating, maybe. Um, and then we waited a couple, maybe two or three years to have our first child. And when we first had our first child, by that time I was in a band, but it wasn't the big one anymore. And so it was it was kind of the tail end of um, the the band thing. Although the party was still there, right? The party didn't leave. <laughs> the party was still there, but the band thing ended. Um, so we were living downtown Salt Lake for most of our early marriage, but uh, a job took me up north. And, you know, so fast forward, you know, gosh, well, 10 years, probably, you know, we'd been married, we had about three kids at the time. And uh, so for me to like go back into town and hang out with my buddies was just awesome because I lived so far away and I quit being in bands when I moved because I was like, there's no way I know I drink. And I know that if I go to band practice, I'm going to get drunk. I can't get drunk and drive 30 miles each way or whatever. So how so does that give up though? Did you give it up easily that lifestyle or did you, I mean, cause I know what it's like for a performer to say, you know what? Got to hang it up. It was tough, man. You know, but, but again, since it was at the tail end, it was like I had kind of given up the dream and the hope because I had done it for so long and not made it big. Right. Mm. Like what, which, what was the dream? Um, it was still a bitter pill to swallow, but, uh, you know, I had done it for so long and, and, and we were talking about the lifestyle. It gets boring after a while, man. It's like, it was so exciting at first, but then it's like, all right, that's lame. Like I've done the same thing forever. Not that I don't love music um, because I still do. Like I have this, this part of my soul that just like allows me to write and, and perform music that I love. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just kind of growing up and maturing, I think a, a little bit, you know, I, I had to, I had to have a job and imagine that support my family yeah yeah it was it was real life man so i so i woke up it was hard but but wow. i did it i got through it yeah okay so now you're um what are you doing to make ends meet you just have um different jobs yeah so but i ended up um taking this big leap of faith um about 10 years ago from now and quitting my job i was working with my dad he had a property management company and i had done everything with him i had done uh, sales marketing i were i started as like a maintenance guy you know, I needed a job when I got married. So that's why I started working with them. And I started, at, you know, at the lowest and then kind of worked my way up. Uh, but then I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yes. If anybody's not heard of that, they need to read it. Uh, but that completely changed my paradigm and my mindset. And that actually uh, was a huge turning point or, or pivot point in my life that uh, shifted my mindset paradigm um, and put me on the path of where I am today. Um, so I, I quit my job cause I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a real estate investor. I'm just going to be a millionaire. So I'll see you all later. And I quit my job. <laughs> right. Millionaire in the making move out yeah. of the way. Yes, Fine. exactly. Get out of my way. Uh, and all, everybody around me who I had relationships with work relationships and friends at that time were like, you're crazy, dude. Don't do that. But I did. Um, and, uh, took me about six, six months to make money in real estate investing, but I did it and I was ended up being successful and then ended up joining forces with a big time real estate investment company and worked with them for the last seven years. So, uh, so I was making decent money. I did pretty good as far as making money. Um, but I, I still had a drinking problem basically. I was so, going to say, right. Yeah, that, oh that, yeah. That, 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 problem. Brings us, that, that brings us back to, uh, yeah, wow. to that story. 
Yeah, basically. Yep. So, so you're still drinking and um, you're still, I guess, covering up all those uh, unresolved feelings and issues that sure. we do when sure. we cover it with some sort of addiction or non-serving habit. Been there yeah. for decades. Yeah. Uh, so now um, back to your buddy uh, with the motorcycle. You, you take the train yeah. you're with him. You're, you start drinking. He's like, and I got weed. Yep. So we go to the jazz game, but I'm sick. I am completely sick. I mean, like if anybody who's done those things that I just mentioned, every once in a while you just get these dizzy spins and your, your stomach doesn't feel good. I had to go throw up in the bathroom and I just didn't make it back to the game. I just left. I didn't even say goodbye or anything. I'm like, I'm out. Um, I just basically tapped out. I'm like, all right, whatever, I lose tonight. And got on the train, and, uh, went back and got on my motorcycle and had this brilliant idea to go to go visit another buddy and see if he wanted to have a couple drinks so i go over to, it's not what you think it's not what you think but i get on my motorcycle he's a couple blocks away from the train station he's not there so i'm like okay now i'm just i'm just going home whatever so i make it maybe a block from his house and the next thing i know i'm laying in the middle of the street and some kids are walking by it's not too late maybe like eight or nine at night and they're like are you okay i'm like what the, I had no idea what the hell happened, but I'm laying on the floor and they're asking me if I'm okay. And my motorcycle is like 10 feet away. And uh, I just get up and I look around, I'm like, holy crap, what the freak just happened? I either fell, I don't know what happened. I either fell asleep or passed out behind the wheel of the motorcycle. The first thing I could do to think of was just run. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to get a DUI and I didn't even get into my past, but I had had multiple DUIs and tickets for drugs and crap in the past. So I'm like, I'm not doing that again. I am not doing that again. So I like get up and try to get on the motorcycle, but the peg broke when it, um, the gear shifter, when it, uh, dropped. So I'm like, crap. And I just like hurry and like push it over to the, some parking lot and run basically home. Um, but the amazing thing was that's crazy is I didn't even get hurt. I walked away with a freaking scratch on the back of my ankle. What do we know happened? What, know did, what did happen? You don't know, to this day, you don't know really what happened? No idea. It was no a self-contained accident. So like there were, you didn't hit yeah. with anybody. Yeah, yeah. You didn't hit anything. No. You were just in the street. Your bike was down. You were down. Some people had seen me, but I just hurried and ran because I'm like, oh, dude, I don't want to go to jail. I'm like in another DUI. You know, I've got three kids. I'm like shit, I really messed up. I know I'm running, dude. And yeah, nothing ever happened except for something happened in here, man, which was the most important thing. Like that experience made me realize, holy shit, dude, I am so grateful to be alive. I can't believe I didn't hurt anybody else. I can't believe I didn't hurt myself. I can't believe I didn't die. I'm like, in, <laughs> in short, short version of the story is like, dude, I'm done. Like, this is it. Like, that was it. Like, the party's over. Like, that, that was my rude awakening, right? And you would think that I had had some of those before, but no, man, that was it. Because I think of the circumstances, um, the job, the, the, the family at the time. Um, and I remember walking home. I had to walk home about a mile. And I call it the walk of shame. <laughs> you know, I think there's some, like, teeny bopper movie where, like, I don't know, they come out of the college room or whatever, and it's the, the walk of shame. But that was my walk of shame because the feelings of shame and guilt and remorse and just self-loathing. I was beating myself up like, dude, you're an idiot. What the hell are you doing? And, and if you read this, the book, uh, it's really interesting because I had had those thoughts the whole time for the last 20 years. 
but I just never acted on it. I just kept doing what I was doing, right? Because I was so comfortable and, and we get in this comfort zone and we don't want to make changes because it's hard. Um, but those feelings, but the ultimate feeling of gratitude was really what kind of triggered, triggered my whole change and my the positive change in my life. And yeah, yeah man, I don't know. <laughs> it was insane. It was a crazy experience, crazy experience. So you're apparently driving home from the train station from the friend. Um, you you sort of come to some kids are like, "Hey man, are you okay?" And you you look around. Your bike is down, a little a little beat up, a little broken. You're the same way, right? A little beat up, a little broken. Yeah. But you're not. You, I mean, you can move. You're not hurt. You're you're not bleeding. And and what did you do? So you walked home, and did you say, "Honey, I." I had this incident and I got to hang all this up. Uh, yeah. So there was a tough conversation. I don't think it happened that night because I was just still feeling embarrassed uh, and ashamed. So I think it was the next day and, and yeah, and we had this, this conversation and she was pretty pissed off, man, uh, to say the least. Um, and I think she kicked me out of the house actually for about a week and said, don't do that shit in my house, figure it out and come back if you want to change your life. And, um, and I had to actually, it's, it's a weird story, but uh, from that day moving forward, I actually little by little started confronting my past um, mm -hmm. and accepting and letting people know some of the bad things that I had done to them. And uh, that was the hardest, that, that was the hardest point. I mean, I knew that from the motorcycle accident, I had to change my life. But then once I started making small changes, it wasn't overnight, believe me, it was years in the making. It was like a two year transformation period and it was little by little. Uh, but one of the, you know, after making the ultimate decision, then it was confronting myself and that was the hardest. I mean, just, I mean, I had done so much stupid shit and I share in my book that like, look, this story right here is like one hundredth of, of all the things that had happened. If I had to share all the nasty, dirty, evil details, you don't want to know. So I started confronting. Yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I, first of all, I said, wow. And, and uh, I was just also going to say the, um, I, I love and agree with what you said, little by little to make the change. That's how it happened for me. And the big revelation was it can't and shouldn't and doesn't happen any other way. That's the, that's the, that's the epiphany. Don't yeah. expect anything overnight. You don't want it. You don't need it. It's not going to happen. More often than not, when you try to tackle this great big change in anything, you wind up falling short because it's too much. Make one small little adjustment consistently that compounds. That's the change. That's what worked for me. It sounds like that's what worked for you. Yeah, man. And I know that now. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes when we're in the heat of the moment or when we're going through those transformations, it sucks. Mm -hmm. And I tell people all the time because I, you know, help coach people now and tell them that, that exact same principle. It's like, dude, little by little, like the whole concept that I have from the coaching program that I have is called the mountain of success. It's like, dude, you want to be successful. You got to take these little baby steps and climb the mountain. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's hard when you're going through it, but I realize that now. And, and that's why I uh, do what I do is because I went through this transformation. I want to help other people that are going through some kind of similar transformation. Obviously their story is different than mine, but man, like we can all relate to like being in the deepest, lowest pit of our lives and having to dig ourselves out. Right. And there's some things that we can do that I went through that I want to help other people do, right? 
So um, a few years ago, you did something called the gratitude video journal. What in yeah. the world is that? So that's what, that was the first thing that I was kind of inspired to do after I kind of spent some time going through this transformation. As I mentioned, gratitude was kind of the, the, the most prominent feeling and emotion that I was experiencing as I walked away alive from that motorcycle accident. So I just felt inspired. And ever since that um, accident, I have these inspirations and I just follow my inspiration. I don't ask, I just do. Mm. I'm a huge action taker. Uh, that was the first thing that I felt inspired to do uh, was just express my gratitude on video. And I don't remember what idea sparked it to do like a Facebook video, but I was like, whatever, you know what? I see other people making videos on Facebook. I'm just going to do this. And I felt so awkward and weird the first time I ever did it. But I remember I'm like, I just have to do this. I don't know why. I don't know what reason I'm just doing it. And I was like driving home from something for work one day and I just, put my phone up and I just, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I got to do this. Something told me I got to do it. And I said, I am so grateful. And, uh, and then it just kind of uh, morphed into this huge following of people. They're like, wow, that's cool. And then like my friends from the, from like the past were like, dude, that is cool. I'm going to start doing it too. And they started making videos and be like, Hey, I'm following my buddy Luke. And here's what I'm grateful for today. Right, man. You know, it's just this and this. And it was really cool. It was a, uh, it was a cool little thing for a while. Yeah, it was cool. Mm. Today, how do you how do you view the word failure? I love it. <laughs> I gotta be honest, um, because I know that that's where we learn and that's where we grow. <sighs> that being said, I hate it when I go through it. Um, you know, before we got on this, I was telling you there's ups and downs, and you know, sometimes it's day by day. Uh, but that's where we grow, man. Like I, I. <laughs> Two things. I'll use the word gratitude to be grateful for all the shitty experiences I've had in my life because if I wouldn't have had them, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And so failure is a wonderful thing. Um, I think we need to fail often. I think we need to fail forward and do it fast. Just get it over with because you're going to fail. Just get it over with. Figure it out. Boom. There we go. Right? Mm. How is your family today? Because I know the phrase dadpreneur is part of your makeup now. What's important about that? That's my everything, man. You know, when I was at my lowest point, that was the first thought that came to my head. And I think, you know, if anybody's in any circumstance or situation and people always talk about, hey, you know, what's your why, right? And when you talk about it, it's like, well, it's my family, right? But until you like experience something to where they really could have been taken away or you really could have lost them, do you really understand, right? But for me, that's what it was. It was them. It was like, oh my God, like they're still there. I'm still here. I can experience them. And, and the other thought that I didn't share when I was telling the story was like, dude, what would they have done without me? Like my wife doesn't work. I'm the sole provider. Like how would they have been, how could they live without a dad, right? So I experienced all those things. My family is the most important thing in my life. It's the reason I wake up early. It's the reason I stay up late. It's the reason I, you know, do everything I do, you know, and, and, because I've had that experience, like my family is the number one most important thing. And I can relate to people that have kids and are trying to be entrepreneurs. And that's why I created that group. Uh, it's called Rockstar Dadpreneurs on Facebook is because there's so many struggles. I had a dude yesterday and I don't, don't mean to go off on a tangent, but just put his schedule for the day. He's like, 12 o'clock, I had to go home for the crying baby. And then at one o'clock, I had to go back to feed it and this and that. He's like, who else is struggling with kids and trying to build an empire? I'm like, yes, we all are. Yes. So like it's cool to be able to relate with people because I think we find strength in sharing our experiences and our stories with each other. So that's why I kind of built that community. And, and I talk about, uh, 
the struggles we have as parents and the struggles we have as entrepreneurs and some of the tips and tricks and things that have worked for me. I love that you keep the name rock star dadpreneur in the group, the, the phrase rock star. Today, what does that mean to you? So really what it means now is I want to be a rock star at being a dad. I want to be the best dad on that. And then I want to be a rock star in my business. And so that's kind of what it means. And being a rock star, when I did some research on putting this page together, the definition of a rock star was like, people worship you. And I'm like, dude, who doesn't want their kids to worship them, right? Or, or in your business, um, your customers, right? Or your employees or whatever kind of business atmosphere you got going, right? Uh, it should be both probably, right? Um, and so you build idolizing fans, right? And so it's like, okay, this makes sense. Like this can translate into business and family. So I'm like, I think I'm onto something here. I don't know. Yeah. Tell us about a time that you were paralyzed by fear. The whole nature of this brand is, um, you know, hiding behind fear. Uh, mm -hmm. When does, uh, what sticks out in your modern day? So I, uh, when I got started in real estate investing, um, I would go to these meetings called the Real Estate Investor Club meetings and stuff. And uh, sorry if you can hear the kids making Yeah, <laughs> I mean, how we couldn't have planned that any better at this right. point in the conversation. Exactly. And cue, cue the kids. Cue the kids. <laughs> Will somebody uh, cue the kids? And they are, wee, kids. <laughs> at least they're not at the door saying, open, 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 um, which happens frequently. No, but uh, so I go to these real estate investor meetings. And, and when anybody starts anything new, I think they want to learn about it to feel comfortable. But what happens is people get stuck in what's called analysis paralysis, right? They're just stuck because they're scared to take the action. Like, well, I'll just, I'll just be comfortable learning about it for year upon year upon year. And that's what I did, right? Like I made the decision that I wanted to be a real estate investor. So really before I actually took the action, all I did was go to these meetings and learn a bunch of stuff and network. And, and I felt really good about myself because that's all I did, right? It's awesome. But it wasn't until I took the action that I really learned, right? When I quit working with my dad and had like a couple months of money saved up, yeah, you start learning things real fast, right? <laughs> how to make money, how to market, how to sell, how to make things happen. Um, so I think what happens the most part about fear is action. People are scared to take action. And, and I, can, I can relate because people don't want to fail. And most of the times when you take action, you, you will fail. You, and people get stuck in this, well, if I learn everything and all the what ifs, and, and what, then I'll be good, but then I'll take action. But they just stay there and never do anything. So I think people just get stuck in that analysis paralysis and they're scared to take action. But man, I'm a living proof that you can make things happen and just figure it out. So, Absolutely perfect. I totally agree. The word decision, yeah. I'm rereading Think and Grow Rich, which yeah. every few years I go back through it. And this morning, the, the chapter I finished up was on decision. And they say uh, the successful make decisions rather quickly and change them, if at all, very slowly, the non-successful make decisions the opposite, very slowly, if at all, and change them very quickly. Think about that. Absolutely true. Make a decision. And I love what you just said about you don't, you don't need all the information. You don't need it. Just, just get the next step information and take it. If you yeah. were, if you were to have um, a conversation with your younger self, what would you be talking about? Oh, this is so great, man. Uh, I've thought about this a couple of times and I always just come back to, 
I don't have any regrets. And I don't know that I would do anything different, man, because I really am grateful that like I've gone through everything I've gone through because it's made me who I am today. Um, maybe I would have said, okay, shape up a little sooner. Don't freaking do stupid shit. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, really my perspective is like, dude, like everything happens for a reason in this world, man, you know? And like, I wouldn't, if I wouldn't have had that, motorcycle accident i wouldn't have felt inspired to write the book i wouldn't have felt inspired to share the gratitude video journal i wouldn't felt inspired to share my story on stage and so like and i love where i'm at right now so like i don't I, know man yeah I, don't know. I love your your mantra your core belief is that it's never too late to make <laughs> a change or from what you experience are there people that feel like ah my time has passed it's too late for me Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. People, uh, people have all the excuses in the world. It's whether, well, I'm too old. I can't do that anymore. Or I'm too young or that doesn't work for me. And I like to live by example and be like, dude, look at my story. If I can do this, I'm not a smart guy, man. I tell everybody that, but I know how to take action. Right. You know what I mean? And like, I'll just figure it out. It's like, there's so many people that are way smarter than me that just don't take action. It's like, look at me, man. Come on, let's go. Let's rock. Yo, that was me for so long. Uh, behind closed doors, on my own, I knew I was smart. I knew I was capable, right? Call it what you will. I knew that I could do the things that I was not doing, and that would cause all this grief, anguish, and anger within me because I saw everybody else, uh, competent or not, do the things that I wanted to be doing, but I was scared out of my mind to do for all these reasons. And I'm like, darn, they're doing it. Oh, I wish I could be doing it. I could do yeah. that. And you yeah. just don't. All the excuses. Well, there's, there's a couple thoughts that come to my head. Um, number one, I think what people do, and I, do, I talk about this a lot in my coaching with my clients and stuff, is a lot of times when people are in those situations, uh, they're only looking at their past failures. Uh, and they just relive those and be like, well, because I failed in the past, like, I know I can't do that or, or what if, and, and, you know, and then the second thing is I can't remember. That's how, that's, that's my ADD just kicked in. It's <laughs> absolutely fine. Um, are you, uh, cool. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've come back to being Mormon again. Yeah. I, I, so and I don't preach my religion on anybody. I want everybody to have their own spiritual thing, but I am huge into spirituality, not religion, spirituality. Um, because, uh, and when I tell my story, I didn't share that today, but I had to turn to God. Like there was nowhere else to turn to. Like when you're at your lowest point, it's like you're on your knees <laughs> and there's only one place to go and it's up. I mean, um, you know, hmm. and whether it's God or somebody else, you need help, right? A lot of alcoholics and people that are, have addictions turn to AA and, and the whole AA thing is God, right? But they're turning to somebody or something for help. For me, it was God and spirituality is huge. And I also talk about how the mind, body, and spirit, when those three are like as healthy and balanced as can be, you're, you're the best version of yourself. So huge, huge spirituality. What do you believe happens when it's all over? when our time here on earth comes to an end? I think we go to some place that's just amazing, right? It's heaven and, and it's perfect and it's whatever we want. It's a beautiful response. It's whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I will leave you with this final question. Luke yeah. Watkins, how would you like to be remembered? Ah, uh, 
I've thought about this a lot too, man. And a lot lately as I starting new businesses and doing different things is figuring out what I like to do and what I'm good at. I just want people to remember me as the fun, outgoing, loving guy that always was there for you, that always wanted to talk to you and when in your time of need and just truly loves helping people. And that's what I do, man. <laughs> so hopefully what I do and what I love is what people remember me by because that's what I'm going to do. Absolutely beautiful. Just like you are inside and out. Luke Watkins, thank you for joining us today. So cool to have you show up and open up for us and with us. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And hopefully there was some, some gold nuggets or value or something in my story that, that somebody can take away, man. That's, that's really why I do what I do. I know there were. I want to thank everybody for joining us today, whether it was as part of the live broadcast or you're catching this in its native podcast form, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify. I thank you for doing so. If you feel inclined, leave a rate and review. I love reading those and seeing what you think. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.